Hi, everyone. Wynn Claybaugh here. My next guest is an American billionaire, businessman, and philanthropist, best known as co-founder of the Paul Mitchell Hair Products Company and the Patron Spirits Company. His rags-to-riches story has inspired generations of people, and his love for the environment is making the world a better place. In this very special master's interview, John Paul shares his passion for the beauty industry and his thoughts on wealth building, caring for those around us, and giving back. If you enjoyed this interview, please share it with your friends and visit masterspodcastclub.com to sign up for our mailing list. And remember, Masters Podcasts are now available on Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify Podcasts. Enjoy this Masters Classic interview. Hi, everybody. This is Wynn Claybaugh, and welcome to this wonderful issue of Masters. I am sitting here with an, an icon, a legend, an entrepreneur, a leader. Um, I could go on and on with as many adjectives as I could think of to describe success and, and vision because I'm sitting here with John Paul DeJoria. Welcome, John Paul. Thank you, Wes. Nice to be here with another master's session with you. I have to tell you, I think the first time that we did a master's interview was in the very, very beginning of master's 10 years ago. And you, along with the, the other big names, Vidal Sassoon, Trevor Sorby, Vivian McKinder, were, were gracious enough to, to lend your names to this brand new company that I was forming. Because I knew if I could get you to say yes and Vidal Sassoon to say yes, then, of course, who's going to say no to me? After that, I, I had a company because you guys said yes. So, you know, Masters has been a wonderful vehicle for us to, to spread some great messages and to even create like a, a history, a library, because some of our people that we've interviewed have since passed away, and yet we have this, this library of their voices and of their messages. And I know that you don't plan to go anywhere. In fact, I think you told me that you have another 20 years in, inside of you. Well, I'm hoping I have another 40 years. Okay, good. But I know for sure there's 20, maybe good. hopefully 40 more, 50 more. Well, this is kind of a monumental year for John Paul Mitchell Systems because you are now celebrating 25 years in business. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel just wonderful. Just going back 25 years ago when uh, my partner and I started this business with $700, our dream was if only we could do $5 million a year in business. We'll stay in the professional beauty industry. We'd make a couple hundred thousand dollars each. We'd be set for the rest of our life. And we know we could do a lot of good. Little did we know just how much good we could do and how successful the company would be. 25 years in business, did, did you and Paul have this vision way back then that you would hit this milestone and that you would hit the, the volume that you're doing? Last week I was there for your grand opening of your brand new uh, warehouses and offices here in Southern California. How big is that place? What's the square footage? The footprint is about 175,000 square feet. Just the warehouse alone is 150,000 square feet, mm. four tiers high. So that is actually 600,000 utilized square feet of just storage space. We built that to be able to warehouse our needs and our shipping and our infrastructure for the next 10 years. But the way we've been growing the last four years, we may outgrow that within seven years. That's amazing. And people ask me all the time if I can help them get a job at your company at Paul Mitchell. I'm like, not that I know of because nobody ever seems to leave. And that is true. You have people for a long, long period of time. And, and little simple things that you do, for example, I know that you buy 
their lunch every single day. Isn't that true? There's free lunch at John Paul Mitchell Systems. Both our executive offices, free lunch for everybody. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit, about just the importance of establishing loyalty? Because I, I firmly believe that when staff stick around, customers stick around. They sure do. Uh, at our company, we know the people are more important than anything. They are the whole, is all the people with John Paul Mitchell Systems and our extended family through salons and schools throughout the United States the rest of the world. So we feel that we must do things for them that makes them special, things I would like done for me. I believe in the last 25 years, my turnover has been 15, 16, maybe 17 people. That's it in 25 years. Wow. But we feel it's important. Like I've worked for so many companies in the past myself, and a lot of them just didn't really treat you right. They looked at something different as a priority opposed to the people, which are going to create that priority you want anyways. One of them was free lunch. There were times when I was down and out. I just have any money for lunch. So maybe I had like 50 cents. I find, well, where can you get a taco for 50 cents? So when we first started, I knew that as soon as we made enough money, for sure, everyone would get free lunch. So we knew for sure everyone had a, a good meal during the day. They'd feel special. They wouldn't have to bring the lunch to work. Or if they did, they wouldn't have to stick in the refrigerator. And we have different menus and we change it. It's not the same thing every single day. Uh, I, I've been there on a free lunch day, uh, which is every day. Yeah, and it is good food. You cater. It's not like this little uh, box lunch that's half stale. So People deserve that. They deserve a little more than the norm. If you look at the norm, what, people, what everyone thinks people should get working for an organization, and you give them more than the norm, they know it and they appreciate it. And let them know they're extremely special in your eyes. Sometimes people listening to these master's CDs will try to exclude themselves from needing the information that's being shared. So people might be thinking, well, yeah, of course, if I had this you know, multi-million dollar company and had this huge big warehouse and had all the money, of course I'd, I'd offer those things to my people. But people have a circle of influence. And I believe that everybody's in business for themselves. Even if you're a paid employee in a salon, you're in business for yourself. You have one employee, you. And we all have a circle of influence. However big yours happens to be, you know, quite large, that circle of influence. We all have that circle of influence. What advice can you give to us? And also, what mistakes are people making in terms of not properly taking care of the people that are in their circle of influence? Let's start with lunch, for example. Let's say a salon owner has a staff member, and maybe their things are really, really tight, and you have that extra 5 or $7 that you can't do it every day. Well, why don't you start off by saying, you know what? Saturdays are our toughest day, or Friday's a really tough day. We're going to take off that day. We're not going to book lunch. We're going to book an appointment for ourselves. It won't be a regular booking for a customer. So we're going to take a half hour off for lunch, and I'm buying lunch, even if it's one day a week to start with. What does it cost you? $7 for you, $7 for your staff member, and then you can work it into two days a week. It's just showing them that they're special, and you get a chance to hang out with them during lunch, too. It makes things really, really nice, and if you remember that, as little as you do or as much as you do, the person you're doing it for, if it's out of the ordinary, knows it's special and really appreciates it. And as you grow and things get better, then you could do a little more. Taking free lunch as the example, from one day, maybe you could go to five days a week. Right. And uh, do other things along the way that makes their lives feel special. They feel that if you grow, you're not the only one that's benefiting. They're benefiting also because more nice things are coming their way. The one thing that I have always noticed about you is that although you make a lot of money, that hasn't really increased your level of power, so to speak, meaning you don't use that power. I, I put this chapter in my book, being rich does not replace being nice, and you've always been nice along the way. Has it happened that somebody 
came back to you and said, you know what, John Paul, you did this or you said this for me 10 years ago and it really, really made a difference. I'm sure that you've had those things and, and, and it surprised you like me doing that or saying that 10 years ago made a difference. Well, Could you tell us what some of those things are? And the reason why I preface that, that you haven't really let the power, you know, you know, take over is because I know that you are a humble man. And so to get me to have you talk about these kind of things may not be naturally something that you would do, but the people listening to this need to hear. They, they want to hear it because they want to do what you're doing. When people start saying, look at me, they may not say those words, but act it. look at me, look how powerful I am, look how much money I have, look at my status, look at my position, look at my title, they become jerks, first-class jerks. <laughs> they think they're feeling good and that others are respecting them because they have power, they have money, they have wisdom, they have tons of friends, they have whatever they have. But in reality, people say, God, what a jerk. Who does he think he is? We know who he is. You know, He doesn't have to go around and remind us all the time. That's terrible. When I share things with people, I share things not just to speak words, but I hope that what I share with them are things that can help them. And when someone comes up to me and says, whether it's, gosh, JP, you told me to stick aside 10% of my income for myself, put in the bank first just for me. They say, JP, it really worked. It makes me feel really good. Anytime I could tell somebody, whether it's smile at someone, look them in the eye, and they come back a day, a week, years later and say, gosh, you know, that really worked. That's my reward. It makes me feel really, really wonderful. And I think on the planet Earth, we're all here to do something. The more we do, to make others feel good or learn or have a better life because of us without asking anything in return, that's where we get the real power in life. Because it's people saying, you did good by me. You tell this great story that I would love for you to share with our, our listeners. I'm sure you could have had the attitude that, well, you know, we'll wait till we you know, get our first million and then we'll look around and see what causes we can support or, well, you know, money's tight. We'll wait till we have our first 20 million. People say, if I had a $20 million, you know, bank account, of course, I'd write out a check for $10,000. But I know that you and Paul didn't wait for that. I know that soon into your minimal success, you all of a sudden were starting to give back. And you tell this great story about being in a restaurant. Can you tell that story? You bet. We were in business two years before we could ever pay our bills on time. We paid them. They were always late, never on time. Two years into business, we paid our bills on time. And I had $2,000 in the bank, and every bill was paid on time. Not paid off, but paid on time. I was on top of the world. I was the king. I was the happiest, richest guy on the planet. $2,000 in the bank. Can't believe it. So I took a friend of mine down to this Mexican restaurant in Marina del Rey to celebrate. Now, I knew no matter what we ordered off that menu, it wouldn't cost more than $15 each. No big deal. Right. For the first time in my life, I ordered off the left side of the menu. It told you what you got, not the right side, which told you the price. <laughs> Before I look at the price, see how much it was, and I look over and see what you get for that price. Right, right. This time I was, oh, off the left side was great. Right. Well, right in front of me was a table of inner city children. And I know what inner city children look like and how they dress because I'm from the inner city. And they were white, black, brown, yellow, just a mixture of kids from the inner city and a couple of moms at each end. You knew that for this dozen or so kids, it was someone's birthday party special occasion. The lady's back was to me, the table right in front of me. I was elevated a little bit. And she was looking at the menu and her finger went, what I did all my life, see what you can get for $3.95, $2.95, and then looked across and saw what you actually got for that money. Right. Well, I counted the table and dozen kids, couple adults, 14, big deal. So they got five desserts and spent 15, 20 bucks each, you know. Right, right. I've got $2,000 in the bank, my <laughs> bills are all on time. 
something just came over me and I followed the waiter into the kitchen. And I said, look, those kids there, there's some special occasion. You go back and tell that lady that she's to order anything she wants off the menu, but someone in here is not ordering off the right and then looking to the left. They're going down the left. You order wherever you want for the kids. This person's picking up the bill and the tip. So when you're done, you don't pull a dime out of your pocket. You just walk away. If you'll do that, I'll give you a 20% tip. Now, in those days, a 10% tip was a big deal. Right. So I went back to my seat. So, but you cannot tell her who it was. You cannot say who did it. And I sat down. The waiter told her. She stood up and looked around. Started with males directly behind her. Couldn't be that guy. <laughs> and looked around. Slowly went around the room and ended up with me again. Could be this guy. With her back to me, looking over the audience, trying to find out who in that restaurant did it, she said in a very loud and evangelistic voice, whoever you are that did this for me and the kids, God bless you. You have no idea what you've done for me and the children. And the restaurant just stopped. She was so loud and looked at her and uh, she says, God bless you. Thank you. Has she said that, goosebumps went right through my body. I mean, in fact, right now while we're talking, they're starting to pop up. It is, I got the greatest high I've ever had in my life. I was high as a kite, stayed that way. But the bottom line is, I did something for someone else without it wanting anything in return. And I felt super about it. And whenever people in life do something as little as walking down the street and there's a piece of paper near the trash can, someone picked it up and put it in the trash can. Didn't have to, wasn't their piece of paper. You feel a little better because you did something special. Opening a door for a person, holding their opening for a person, makes you feel special. Or giving of your time or of your money to any kind of a cause or a benefit that make people better off because you did something with your time, energy, or a smile is really the true success and the true riches of being a human being on the planet Earth. You know, having the amount of money that you have, which is obviously not the focus of this, you ever have challenges when that comes up in, in raising your kids, and, and, and what do you say to them? Because you have, you have a little seven-year-old boy now. Yep. My daughters, as they grew up, when they grew up, my son, we, I just started making some money then, and we, my girls, when they were at a very young age, were involved in watching uh, their dad give money to different charities or give them himself to these charities. And to start off with, my daughters, when they were very, very young, and Michaeline was probably five, six years old, Alexis, eight or nine years old, but they made a chart up. They took a poster board, two by three poster board, made a chart with a bunch of lines on it and went to a mall and said, if you will sign this and pledge to do something good for the environment, we will put in one penny out of our allowance. Mm -hmm. They had that thing. Everyone wanted to sign that. Right, right. But now, more recently, as things have been getting even better in our lives, my son John Anthony came home from school and said, Dad, we're rich. All the kids in school said, we're real rich. We have more than one house, a nice car. Like, we're rich. So, Dad, we're rich, huh? I said, son, <laughs> let me tell you what rich is. Sit down. Here's what rich is. Son, we're happy and very healthy. That's rich. We could have all the money in the world, all the houses in the world, all the cars in the world, and be unhappy or be unhealthy, and we're not rich. We're very, very poor. Son, rich is being very happy in your life and very healthy, regardless of the amount of money you have. Hmm. That's the richness in life. And uh, Can I share a story with Ab your listeners? Please, absolutely. Uh, maybe 20 years ago, a long time ago, uh, but not that long. Uh, J. Paul Getty was the richest man in the world. And before he died, there was an interview with him. And the lady had asked him who was interviewing him, Mr. Getty, you're one of the most powerful people in the world. Would you change anything in your life now that you're in your 70s or 80s? What would you change your life if you could? And in one of these rare interviews, he looked at her and said, I am the richest. I am the most powerful man on the planet today. But yes, there are things I would change. 
I would give up the majority of my wealth if only I could have been happy. He says, I've been married seven times. None of them were good. One of my grandsons cut off his ear, sent it away for ransom. He says, I've been very, very unhappy in my life. And the majority would go towards happiness. But I'm too old now and just too cranky and it's just too late for me. I wish that question would have been asked of me many years ago, but only if I knew what I know today. Hmm. But wisdom has taught me that the years haven't. Hmm. Wow, that's powerful. Uh, Can you... Share with us some ideas on on wealth building because wealth building can begin day one, the very beginning of your career, the very beginning of your first paycheck in the salon, the very first day opening up your salon business. You can begin wealth building, and you sure can. And I and I, I love that you share this, and I really want to get it down on this master CD Certainly. because I've been privileged to to have some private time with you over the years and you've given me some wonderful advice that totally has worked for me so can you share some of those ideas with us Uh, a very wise man had written years ago many years ago decades ago that part of what you make is yours to keep now the listener may think well wait a minute everything i make is mine to keep if i want to but i have bills well everybody thinks that way what you should do is this when you get a paycheck or you find a dollar or someone gives you money pay yourself first here's what that means Take 10% off the top after taxes. Make sure it's after your taxes have been paid or taken out of your check. Take 10% of the net. And for right now, just for right now, stick it in a bank account. Even if it only pays 1% interest, who cares? Put it in a bank account. Now, if you make 10, 20% more, still take 10% out and put it in a bank account. Believe me, your bills will still get paid. But by paying yourself first before you pay off any of your bills, it's rewarding yourself for doing a good job. Now, you may say, but wait a minute. I barely make it from month to month, from week to week on my paychecks. I'm going to miss that. No, you won't. If you made 10% less or 10% more, you'd still get your bills paid. A magical thing happens when you start a flow. You start a flow and money starts coming in more and more and more. And you should keep doing that. At least until you have enough money in the bank to pay every bill you have for six months. Everything from your mortgage to your your rent, your car payments, your insurance payments, your food, your gasoline, even the movie theater tickets or the videos that you rent. Everything for six months. So if anything ever happened to you, you know for six months you pay every single bill and regroup. When you do that, then you start feeling very, very secure in life. When I first started doing it, I thought, how am I going to make it? All of a sudden, money came in. We never imagined money would come in. True story. Shortly after I started doing this many, many years ago, when I first started doing it, I walked down the street and I found a $5 bill. I took 50 cents out and saved it for the bank account. No, really, I did. Good for you. And then several years later, I just stopped doing it. And I was in debt up to my eyeballs. And as you make more money, you spend more money. A lot of your listeners, I'm sure, realize, well, gosh, 10 years ago, I didn't make as much as I made today. But yeah, I'm spending it all when I make it anyways. Pay yourself first. A phenomenon will happen. A stream will start flowing. You'll start making more money, and you can see more of it, and you can see more of your rewards. And that gets you on to financial freedom. Fabulous. Fabulous. Can you talk to our listeners about the importance of integrity and honesty in business? Because I'm sure if you ask the average person listening to this, you know, are you an integral, honest business person? And they would say, oh, yeah, absolutely I am. And yet 
They're cheating on their taxes. They're not really claiming everything that they're bringing into the salon, which bottom line hurts the beauty industry. It hurts the beauty industry because the government looks at it and says, wow, hairdressers can only make $30,000 a year when really they're making 80 or more and they're only claiming that they're making that amount of money, which means they're not paying taxes, but they still drive on my streets and send their kids to the schools that we all taxpayers pay for. <laughs> was that a little soapbox there? That was a good one. So, <laughs> that was a good one. And, and kind of how I look at it, you know, I mean, I, I believe in karma and I believe in cause and effect and I believe that what goes around comes around and I believe that if you'll cheat the government, eventually you'll cheat on your spouse, you'll cheat your children, you'll cheat your friends, you'll, you'll cheat. Can sure. you kind of talk about the importance of integrity and honesty in business? I'd like to roll that back a few thousand years. Whether you read the Bible the New Testament, the Quran, uh, the works of Buddha, Confucius. There's always something that says, for example, pay Caesar that which is Caesar's. Pay your taxes. Pay people that what is owed to them and work around it. In life, the hardest thing to do, and believe me, this is tough, is to have character. Character is what you do when no one else is watching. Okay, you can sneak 50 bucks in your pocket and not pay the government. Okay, you know, you could take an extra five jelly beans uh, when you're only supposed to take one handful. Okay, no one's watching. The gas tank, uh, the, the meter didn't work, so I got an extra $2 worth of gas. And I'm leaving. Oh, look, I got my change more than I should get. Character is what you do when no one's watching. If you do the same thing when no one's watching, as if everyone were watching you, you feel so good. The first time someone gives you more money than you should get back in change, and you say, hey, you overpaid me, here's the money back, you walk out feeling like a god. Like, wow, I watched out for all the children of my planet. And if you think about it, all of us are like influences of God, no matter what we want to call God. We're all extensions of God. Why not treat our old planet as an extension of God? Not just a person watching out for themselves, but an extension of a God that watches out for the whole planet and everybody on it. Hmm. Well, Tough to do, but you can do it. I'm sure people think, well, I'll just take these two bottles of shampoo off the retail shelf. You know, the salon owner, they've got so much of this product and they'll never miss it and they would want me to have it anyway. And plus I stayed extra and cleaned the back room and so I deserve to have this product. So they, they don't really think that they're stealing. They don't think that they're cheating. They, they somehow justify it. That, that, that's an amazing phenomenon that takes place. What's $10? What's 15 bucks? They make so much money. And right. then they do it again and again and again without realizing that for $10... I'm making myself into a thief and I'm stealing from the person that created a business and that's why I'm here for $10, $20? What is wrong with me? That's called petty theft. Well, am I that petty or well, am I bigger than that? Well, good for you. That's strong. You know, I, I, I've had my bad boy days. In fact, I had quite a few years where I was a real bad, bad, bad boy. I did things that were just not so good. There was a time in my life when I had a three-year-old son, John Jr. I was in my early 20s. I was uh, riding with the wrong motorcycle gang, and uh, I didn't have any money. And I had this little car I had fixed, and the engine blew, and someone had to fix it. And it was $175 to fix it, and I didn't have the money. This was back in the 1960s, late 60s. So I didn't have the money. So I went by with my son. Had someone dropped me off. Uh, I went with my son. I said, is the car fixed? Does it run good? And the guy goes, yes. Well, can I take you for a test drive? Of course you can. I got in the car, and he had a phony name on me anyways. Put my son in the car, and I drove away, and I kept on going. I never came back. I never paid his bill. 
When John Paul Mitchell Systems finally started making a few dollars, I thought of everyone I wronged in my life, and I wanted to make amends and make things right. So I drove back to this place, and uh, it, at that time became an auto body fender place. It was no longer a mechanic. And I went there and I said, my God, more than 20, 25 years ago, I was here, and uh, there was a, an elderly gentleman from a foreign country. He had a, a, an engine repair place, and he fixed my car. Any idea where that guy may have gone to? He said, boy, is this your lucky day? He's my landlord. He's retired now, and he's here today. No. I can't, yeah, it's a true story. And uh, the fellow came up. I said, sir, I want to take you back to the late 1960s. There was a little sports car here, and a man came with his little boy who had fixed his engine. He took it for a test run and never came back. He goes, oh, I remember. Cute little boy, young man. Never came back. I could never figure that one out. I said, sir, I'm the person. I didn't have the money, and I was just not a very good person in those days. I wasn't as good as I should be today. Sir, I've calculated interest and profit and a lot of other stuff, and plus a little way of saying I'm really sorry. And I handed him $1,000 in cash, and I said, please forgive me. And the man smiled, and a tear came out of his eyes and said, my God, I don't believe people can still do this today. And I teared. I had tears in my eye. The joy was unbelievable. This old man and I just hugged each other. I embraced him. I didn't want to let go. We hugged for at least a minute. Mm -hmm. And here I had a chance to redeem myself, make life okay. And here another human being said all that. Hey, if someone did something wrong, the human race is a good race. Yeah. People try and make things right. And I felt wonderful. And every single person I've ever wronged, I've gone back to make everything right. There's only one guy I can't find I'm still looking for, Michael <laughs> Davenport. He'd be about 60 years old now. He went to Atwater Grammar School, Washington Junior, Junior High School, or Washington Irving Junior High School, and partially in Marshall, I won the Navy. I'm looking for Michael Davenport. I did him wrong, and I cannot find him. I want to buy him a car, a house, or something. Wow. You know, that's the one guy I'm still looking for, and we can't find him. Because there's too many Michael Davenports. <laughs> You you do believe in the importance of being able to clean that stuff up. I sure do. When you definitely got to go back and clean up. You have to, and you feel good. But I think it happens on a day to day basis. Like in a salon, we play like it's Survivor. You know, I vote you off my island in this salon. We think that we can divide and conquer and and treat people unfairly. The same people that we work with on a day to day basis. And people don't think that it's important to clean up those things. No, you got to clean up. And let's say somebody did take a bottle or two of shampoo off to the shelf, right? Figure out what the retail price would have done. Not your price where you get it at, you know, 40, 50% off, but what the retail price would have done, Ben. And let's say you did it 10 times you could think of. Let's say it's $7, right? That's 70 bucks. Put it in an envelope, print so that boss does not know it's you, and say, 10 bottles of shampoo have been sold over the last year or something. Here's your money. That's all you got to do. And put the envelope right on the desk and just walk away. Don't even lay claim to it. Yeah. And uh, you just made amends without having to say, I did it. They didn't see you, but the universe did. The universe saw There's, there's eyes everywhere. Well, well, the person who saw it the most was you. Yeah. You saw yourself right. doing okay. And, you know, again, when you do something for someone else and nobody else knows it and no one else claims that you're great, the fact that you even did it makes you feel great. For me, being being happy does not come naturally to me. I have to work at that every single day, and I do work at it every day, and, and I'm now one of the happiest people that I know because it is a priority of, of mine. But you're happy all the time. You're yeah. an example for the world. How do you stay so optimistic, so hopeful, and so uh, forgiving of just humankind? 
Well, I think I've been so down and so down and out in my life so many times that just the blessings of being okay in life makes me feel so good. And throughout my life, uh, my mother was very optimistic. I, even though we had nothing, we grew up in an area that was deprived. We never knew it. There was food on the table. Maybe not a lot, but there was food on the table. There was shelter over our head. And we thought we were just fine in life. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of good things just being alive. And uh, there's an old saying that I, every now and then I think about and I try and share with people. And people should think about. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. <laughs> You can even see, be happy. In the, man, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Yeah. Your mom, uh, you tell this wonderful story about, about your mother. You just mentioned that you grew up with nothing. It was you and your brother and your mom, just the oh, three the of Christmas you. Oh, story. Something about the, 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 the steak or something? Or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What my mom would do is, like, once a month or so, we didn't have a lot of money, but she wanted us to taste what good food was like. So maybe once a month, she'd get a little filet mignon, and we'd cut it in three pieces. My brother, she, and I, we'd have filet mignon for dinner, okay? Or she'd buy the smallest amount of caviar. You know, we'd have, there'd be once a month, we'd do something really special to taste it. So instead of the inexpensive thing, we had the more expensive thing. And I can remember, as tough as life was, and we didn't realize as tough it was until we were older, I must have been five, six, seven years old. It was Christmas time. And we went shopping. Mama only had so much to shop with. And we went downtown L.A. to the main company. We took the streetcar down there. And there was a Salvation Army lady out front there ringing a bell. And my mom said, she gave me my brother a dime and said, you two hold this together and go over and put it in there. And we took the dime. We went over and we put it in there. And then we said to our mom afterwards. But remember, in those days, a dime was like putting a few dollars in today. Right. We said, Mom, we know things are, you know, we don't have a lot of money. But yet you gave a dime. She said, it's because those people, the Salvation Army, don't have what we have in life, and we want to share a little bit with them. And I thought, mm. wow, Mom, that's so awesome. Mm. But we didn't use awesome in those words. We thought, wow, that's so cool, Mom. Right. Or so it was neat. It was so was neat. neat. What a neat Mom we have. Oh. So little meant so much. So she taught you way back then. Yes, she did. And those principles that she taught you are still alive and a part of you and your company now? They certainly are. Yeah. Alive and well. Um, what are you most proud of in your career? I think the fact that not only we made it, but we were able to make it in our career and make the world a better place to live because we are here. That's a beautiful combination I'm very, very proud of. And it keeps me happy, it keeps me excited and very much in this industry and very much into continuing to do things in life because it's a combination of the two. I benefited and many others on the planet benefited. Now, there's a lot of people that would disagree with me. I must get 10 letters a week from charities or people that just want everything in the world. And I can't do it anymore. I did it for a while and all of a sudden I thought, I'm, this is crazy. I'm totally insane. I can't save the world. Right. But in our own way, we contribute to more than 30 different good causes every year. And a few people each year, we do something extra special for that we do. What causes are you most passionate about? You know, there's so many, but I would say things that help a greater majority of people, a group, big group of people, become self-sufficient or the world or part of the environment became self-sufficient on their own. Like helping groups of people learn how to get jobs on their own or helping people with some food but letting them get their own jobs or helping reforest an area that hasn't been forested. But more important, helping people understand that this area's been cut down. Let's all pitch in and reforest it together. Um, I know that a lot of people think that to make a difference and to support all the many different causes that are out there, a lot of people look to... Uh, big business. I've been in meetings where 
people talking, well, we got to get the money. And people like, well, call John Paul, let him write the check. And people do have that attitude. Well, Coca-Cola should put up all the money. Or Can you talk about more grassroots oh, and, and individuals is, doing something? That is the greatest question you could ever ask me. I'm amazed I've never asked that question before. If corporations put up all the money and individuals don't put up something, they have just cheated themselves out of having lives that are fulfilled. Think of it this way. There's a lot of people in life that make a lot of money and save it all year and save it during their life. And then all of a sudden build a big building and name it after them. Or when they die, they build a temple and name it after them, right? Because I'm here, look at me. They did enjoy the fruits along the way. Mm-hmm. Big corporations, hopefully it's a lot of them, contribute to a lot of good causes. But it's when human beings, individuals, contribute a little bit each themselves. They become part of the solution and they get the joy of giving. Again, they get the joy of knowing that look what we did together, not well, we're just sitting on the couch watching somebody else do something. Right. People that do that just sit on the couch watch someone else do something and don't participate in making the world a better place to live. They make a bad, bad world. We don't want a bad world. Right. Everyone must participate to make the world a better place to live, not just a few chosen people. Well, I think we watch TV and we think, wow, that's just terrible what's going on. Somebody should do something about that. And what you're saying is you're we the person. Have to do it. You are the person. You're People the person. say, well, wait till the masses do it. When the masses do it, I'll join in. Right. They forget it's individuals that become right. the masses. Well, what are you most hopeful for in the beauty industry? That the beauty industry, as we grow larger and more sophisticated, which our schools are really helping, creating even sharper people that come into our industry and more talented, better trained people. As this happens, we become more unified as a professional industry worldwide. And we start talking to our customers and are able to do things to change the entire world. An example, Nelson Mandela, Brad Pitt, Richard Branson, and I are the patrons of Mind Seekers. We want to remove more than 70 million landmines on the planet in the next 10 to 15 years with the new technology we have. Well, if we can spread through everybody in the world how bad landmines are, every person that sat in their chair that was in the military or in a business that had anything to do with landmines would be here. Oh, landmines are very, very bad. Once every 15 minutes, a child or an adult is blown up by a landmine. They lose a leg, an arm. Uh, they're not right for the rest of their lives. And by the way, and there's thousands of animals that get blown up all the time. You know, this is bad. It's not good for our planet. As people give out information, we're in the information age. As people give out information and awareness rises, oh my goodness, the world changes. Our industry is the most influential lobbying, lobbying group in the world because 70% of all working people in the Western world between the ages of 18 and 48 years old are in a salon once every three months. Wow. What a, we can influence them with happiness and really? joy and cheer. Hair, hairdressers are touching that many people. Yeah, is that amazing? Yeah, um, because you, you seem to have such hope uh, in in so many ways and so many areas about the future generations very what's the most self-defeating perception that people have of themselves whoa very very good that I will make it if something happens or I'm not lucky somebody else is or look what's happening to me poor me where people should realize that a lot of things that happen to you they happen to us too along the way happen to all of us you have to overcome that and realize that I am bigger than it is Kind of like the bottle of shampoo. Am I going to let my mind think I'm going to steal a $10 bottle of shampoo and become a petty theft? 
then all of a sudden lower my image. In other words, you are your image. You create your own character. And if you slam 10 doors in your face or someone else does it, but on the 11th door, you're just as enthusiastic as the first door. You're going to create your own future, no matter how bad things are. And I would really recommend everyone that's listening, and not because you're just here when I uh, did a big presentation for Goldman Sachs. And I recommend it to everybody there. The best book you could ever get in your life to help change your life and make things better is your book. And that is a wonderful book that says, Be Nice or Else by Wynn Claybaugh. And I'm not saying that because Wynn's right across from me. I told that to an audience at Goldman Sachs because it tells you how to be nice. And the nicer you are to yourself, as well as other people, the more things start happening for you. Be kind to yourself. Don't blame yourself and others for your condition. Look at what you have that's going for you right now. What do you have? Can you see? Can you write? Can you talk? Are you, you know, what, what's going good for you right now? And don't forget, no matter how bad things are, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man or woman is king. That's great. John Paul, do you have a final message for our listeners? Yes, I'm glad that uh, we're still able to do this. And my final message is that as I go around lecturing to business groups, to government organizations, or just talk to people, the generation that is right now coming on to start running things is so together. The world is going to be okay. We're running across some real problems now, some revolutions. It's just change. It's only change. As people say, I don't agree with this because... And there's a few jerks in there saying God wants you to kill somebody. God doesn't want you to kill anybody, my God. Every religion that says it, thou shalt not kill. So that's a bunch of baloney. You can't use religion to kill people. But besides that, we're going through some changes. I'm a firm believer that in the next 20 to 30 years, we are going to finally have peace and harmony on the planet because people are caring about one another. The more they care about one another, it's not that someone else take care of it. I'm going to take care of it. So my message is... We're going through some changes, a few bad times now, but the world's going to get better for every single person out there, regardless of your race, your color, or your creed. It's a good thing. Thanks, John Paul. Perfect, perfect message. Oh, it's a pleasure.